Day 1 of Totus Tuus's Novena to Mary Immaculate, Star of Hope. With quotes from Pope Benedict XVI's encyclical letter, Spe Salvi, on Christian Hope. Spe Salvi Facti Sumus. In hope we were saved, says St. Paul to the Romans and likewise to us. According to the Christian faith, redemption, salvation, is not simply a given. Redemption is offered to us in the sense that we have been given hope, trustworthy hope, by virtue of which we can face our present. The present, even if it is arduous, can be lived and accepted if it leads to a goal, if we can be sure of this goal, and if this goal is great enough to justify the effort of the journey. Now the question immediately arises, what sort of hope could ever justify the statement that, on the basis of that hope, and simply because it exists, we are redeemed? And what sort of certainty is involved here? Before turning our attention to these timely questions, we must listen a little more closely to the Bible's testimony on hope. Hope, in fact, is a key word in biblical faith, so much so that in several passages the words faith and hope seem interchangeable. Thus the letter to the Hebrews closely links the fullness of faith to the confession of our hope without wavering. Likewise, when the first letter of Peter exhorts Christians to be always ready to give an answer concerning the Logos, the meaning and the reason of their hope, hope is equivalent to faith. We see how decisively the self-understanding of the early Christians was shaped by their having received the gift of a trustworthy hope. When we compare the Christian life with life prior to faith, or with the situation of the followers of other religions, Paul reminds the Ephesians that before their encounter with Christ, they were without hope and without God in the world. Of course, he knew that they had had gods, he knew they had had a religion, but their gods had proved questionable and no hope emerged from their contradictory myths. Notwithstanding their gods, they were without God, and consequently found themselves in a dark world, facing a dark future. In nihil ab nihilo quam sito resedimus, how quickly we fall back from nothing to nothing. So says an epitaph of that period, In this phrase, we see in no uncertain terms the point Paul was making. In the same vein, he says to the Thessalonians, You must not grieve as others do who have no hope. Here too we see as a distinguishing mark of Christians the fact they have a future. It is not that they know the details of what awaits them, 
but they know in general terms that their life will not end in emptiness. Only when the future is certain as a positive reality does it become possible to live the present as well. So now we can say, Christianity was not only good news, the communication of a hitherto unknown content. In our language we would say, the Christian message was not only informative, but performative. That means, the Gospel is not merely a communication of things that can be known. It is one that makes things happen and is life-changing. The dark door of time, of the future, has been thrown open. The one who has hope lives differently. The one who hopes has been granted the gift of a new life. Yet at this point a question arises. In what does this hope consist which, as hope, is redemption? The essence of the answer is given in the phrase from the letter to the Ephesians quoted above. The Ephesians, before their encounter with Christ, were without hope because they were without God in the world. To come to know God, the true God, means to receive hope. We who have always lived with a Christian concept of God and have grown accustomed to it have almost ceased to notice that we possess the hope that ensues from a real encounter with this God. The example of a saint of our time can, to some degree, help us to understand what it means to have a real encounter with this God for the first time. I am thinking of the African Josephine Bakita, canonized by Pope John Paul II. She was born around 1869. She herself did not know the precise date, in Darfur in Sudan. At the age of nine, she was kidnapped by slave traders, beaten till she bled, and sold five times in the slave markets of Sudan. Eventually she found herself working as a slave for the mother and the wife of a general, and there she was flogged every day till she bled. As a result of this, she bore 144 scars throughout her life. Finally, in 1882, she was bought by an Italian merchant for the Italian consul Callisto Legnani, who returned to Italy as the Mardists advanced. Here, after the terrifying masters who had owned her up to that point, Bakita came to know a totally different kind of master. In Venetian dialect, which she was now learning, she used the name Paron for the living God, the God of Jesus Christ. Up to that time, she had known only masters who despised and maltreated her, or at best considered her a useful slave. Now, however, she heard that there is a Paron above all masters, the Lord of all lords, and that this Lord is good, goodness and person. She came to know that this Lord even knew her, that he had created her, that he actually loved her. She too was loved, and by none other than the supreme Paron.
before whom all other masters are themselves no more than lowly servants. She was known and loved, and she was awaited. What is more, this master had himself accepted the destiny of being flogged, and now he was waiting for her at the father's right hand. Now she had hope, no longer simply the modest hope of finding masters who would be less cruel, but the great hope. I am definitively loved, and whatever happens to me, I am awaited by this love. And so my life is good. Through the knowledge of this hope, she was redeemed, no longer a slave, but a free child of God. She understood what Paul meant when he reminded the Ephesians that previously they were without hope and without God in the world, without hope because without God. Hence, when she was about to be taken back to Sudan, Bakita refused. She did not wish to be separated again from her paron. On the 9th of July, 1890, she was baptised and confirmed and received her first Holy Communion from the hands of the Patriarch of Venice. On the 8th of December, 1896, in Verona, she took her vows in the Congregation of the Canosian Sisters, and from that time onwards, besides her work in the sacristy and in the porter's lodge at the convent, she made several journeys round Italy in order to promote the missions. The liberation that she had received through her encounter with the God of Jesus Christ she felt she had to extend. It had to be handed on to others, to the greatest possible number of people. The hope born in her, which had redeemed her, she could not keep to herself. This hope had to reach many, to reach everybody. Let us pray. Holy Mary, Mother of God, our Mother, teach us to believe, to hope, to love with you. Show us the way to his kingdom. Star of the sea, shine upon us and guide us on our way. Prayer of Blessed John Paul II on the Solemnity of the Immaculate Conception of the Blessed Virgin Mary, 2002. Hail Mary, full of grace. Immaculate Virgin, here I am at your feet once again, full of devotion and gratitude. I return to pray for the beloved city of Rome, for the Church, for the whole world. In you, humble and highest of creatures, divine grace had the full victory over evil. You are for us pilgrims on the paths of the world, the bright model of evangelical fidelity, 
and the ever-living pledge of sure hope. Virgin Mother, salvation of the Roman people, watch over, I pray, the beloved Diocese of Rome, over pastors and faithful, parishes and religious communities. Watch over families especially. May love, sealed by the sacrament, ever reign between spouses. May children walk on the paths of goodness and true freedom. May the elderly feel surrounded by attention and affection. Inspire, Mary, in so many young hearts, generous replies to the call for the mission. May Rome be enriched by new young forces, dedicated with enthusiasm to proclaiming the gospel in the city and in the world. Blessed Virgin, Queen of Apostles, assist those who through study and prayer are preparing to labour on the many frontiers of the new evangelization. May seminarians and priests, men and women religious, and laity be ready to put their energies at the disposition of Christ in service of the gospel to the far corners of the globe. Hail Mary, Mother of God, pray for us. Pray, O Mother, for all of us. Pray for humanity who suffers poverty and injustice, violence and hatred, terror and war. Help us to contemplate with the rosary the mysteries of him who is our peace, so that we will all feel involved in a persevering dedication of service to peace. Look with special attention upon the land in which you gave birth to Jesus, a land that you love together with him and that is still so sorely tried today. Pray for us, Mother of Hope. Give us days of peace. Watch over our way. Let us see your Son as we rejoice in heaven. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.